have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. As if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. to brutes, men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. I am Jason Burmis, and we are doing it live. Big show today, as always. Second hour, not going to want to miss it. Uh, I spent almost an hour with Simon Essler of Cut, Daughters of the West, and we're not just talking California, although I, I would say that the culture that he's discussing uh, very much does permeate there. And... Really, we had a great discussion about culture and influence and how we've now had the society for so long that has focused on celebritard culture, things that are 99% are meaningless to us and our lives, period, meaningless, but we make meaningful it's the chatter around the water cooler they used to talk about do you see the latest friends oh my goodness and and i succumb to it too when there's a kick-ass series out there in entertainment like a true detective it's the first thing i'm talking especially when they're teasing it right where it's once a week and then you got the real talk like that that was a big thing for game of thrones and its predecessors like the sopranos etc week to week you'd have something to talk about all week right entertainment and within this entertainment culture, obviously certain things are glamorized. And he makes a great point that he feels like women and their psyche and how they feel about their bodies have actually been under attack for a very, very, very long time. And uh, again, Esler's done a ton of research on this. And uh, you can get that film. I believe it's uh, daughtersofthewestfilm.com, but you'll, you'll see the, the tag you're going to watch the interview. It is Kick Arnis and Take Namus. It's a great interview. Uh, again, and, and this is a guy that is kind of of my own heart because I remember back in the day when I was doing documentary films. Now I'm, I'm a decade removed. I need, I need to get back on the horse, on the saddle, and jockey one up. I know, guys. It's, it's a lot of work. 
It's a whole lot of work. Uh, the satisfaction, though, of actually getting a project like that done, uh, I, I can't really describe it unless you've done it. The, the, feel, the, the feeling of achievement is great. But that's, that's really, like, getting it done is just the start of the journey. And, and this is why I like this guy, because he's like, look, I don't want you to just buy it or rent it. I want you to have a screening of it. I want you to show this to other people. I want you to be able to have a discussion with everybody. This isn't something um, that's geared towards the left or the right. In fact, one of the things that we kind of focused on is that I believe that the alternative media, although absolutely should be shining on the darkness of the aspect of men in the space of women's sports, the truth of the matter is, and as is kind of revealed through this film of where you have these young girls at a small level. If you look at how much cosmetic surgery is done via the uh, sexes, the genders, the real ones, male and female, it's 90 plus percent women. Uh, let me repeat that, 90 plus percent women. And an increasing amount, especially from 2000 to 2023, of younger and younger girls going under the knife. It's crazy. Okay, when you're looking at the uh, transgender stuff and the kids, you're looking at, at like a four to one for girls transitioning into boys, getting the top surgery. Okay, so unmissable, unmissable. And you'll be able to find that for free over at the RVM stream. Okay, RVM, uh, they, they had a little bit of a hiccup yesterday, just to let everybody know. I know that if you were watching on the RVM stream, uh, for that second hour, at an hour and 18, it cut off, okay? Uh, I apologize about that. We're trying to get all the kinks out. We need you to subscribe over at the Rumble on RVM or go to rvmrumble.com. They did put it up towards the end of the hour. You got like the last 15 minutes. The whole thing, the whole thing, top to bottom, is available on their Rumble as well after the fact. And you can see it with the thumbnail that you saw in the intro again getting the kinks out we're trying to make this uh as easy as possible uh, but i gotta tell you the cleanup hitter wayne dupree bringing in the audience uh, i'm seeing big numbers on those streams uh at least for this program okay and we need more and more people across the board to come across this program you know i'm seeing people uh on social media i, I guess i'll give this burmese guy a try in, in the beginning of the day he doesn't call himself a conservative but why not? Let's let's take a look. Yes, let's take a look. So again, uh, props to this guy. Props to independent journalists and filmmakers that are trying to bring people together that are not just doing the topic of the day to be hot, but really uh, causes for concern that are kind of underreported even in the alternative. So Essler in the second hour, a lot to talk about in the first hour. The Tuckins, okay, it's the lead story, and, and this is something everybody's going to be talking about, but they're not going to be talking about it like Jason Burmes is talking about it, I promise. The Tuckins, about to launch his own show over at Twitter, okay? Now, here's the thing. It's a complex issue. First of all, Elon immediately came out and said, we have not cut a deal with the Tuckins. So the Muskernuts 
And the Tuckins, no deal. In fact, I, I would imagine because it's a non-compete clause that he can't do something like that. I would also imagine that the Tuckins is doing this on his own dime till at least January 2025. And if he may not even be able to monetize it. Okay, and what do I mean by that? Right now, there's a limited amount of monetization with subscriptions and things on Twitter. I have not seen the growth on Twitter, I think, that we should have if we had an open system. I'm going to show you what a closed system it was, and it was a closed system before COVID, okay? It was a Trojan horse civilian system, and in many ways, it continues to be, okay? But I'd like you to posit this. First of all, the Tuckins videos are getting just like through the roof numbers, especially when compared to Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and the likes combined. They can't do numbers like the Tuck when he puts out a video like this. But through algorithmic suppression at any time, that could change. And I, I do think that Fox and their legal team may send him a cease and desist, especially when we watch the video of him saying he's been doing a show for six and a half years like this that he's about to do now. Okay? And before we get all excited about the, the, the tuckins, okay, and, I, and again, there are good aspects to this. I'm not saying there aren't. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not trying to crap on everybody's parade, but... Let's take a look at some things, okay? FBI awards data miner uh, contract for Twitter Firehose. This is in 2016. This is well before, well before the COVID-1984 nightmare, period. All right? This is what Twitter was really set up for. Somewhere where the narrative, the great narrative, if you will, could be controlled by intelligence agencies in a lot of ways and get everybody hooked onto this new thing that was allowed to, I guess, first of all, it's an app that, that's going to get your short form all day, okay? And, and this is an app that came out before Snapchat and I would argue before Instagram totally and completely blew up, right? And at one time, they were kind of rivals, but Instagram more went the route of, it's weird, Twitter kept pornography, Instagram got rid of that, but I mean, that's where all the models are, right? <laughs> and now I guess you could say the OnlyFans is like the super what Instagram could have been had they let it run rampant before. But Twitter was more political, right? And I, I remember one of the first times that I ever even became aware of it. And um, I was watching, uh, for some reason, Ellen was on. I Don't hate me. I don't know why it was on in the background or something like that. And P. Diddy, P. Diddy was on. And P. Diddy, the old puffster, he was showing how he tweeted. And it was actually, uh, who was it, Crooklyn, um, who probably hates me now. Because <laughs> she's gone so far left. She used to follow me on Twitter. She doesn't anymore red does but they were doing uh tap out mma radio doing podcasts back in the day before it was making any money you know a decade and a half ago and finally 
uh, she was like, you need to get a Twitter. You need to do this. That It's a good way to raise money and awareness. And at the time, I was just leaving uh, InfoWars. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to come back and do this stuff. And, you know, it's been a long road. Uh, you can definitely get burnt out on this stuff. That, that, that's no joke. And it was a different time. It wasn't a streaming time, right? So, like, even Twitter, I, I want to say back in the day with the ability, maybe you could have done Periscope, but Periscope was a separate thing as it came up. And then Twitter absorbed it. So it wasn't really the video platform, etc. It got on there and it was constantly being pushed as like the new place to be for politics. Now, uh, that's of course not the only place. It spanned through. FBI, FBI agents monitor social media, no kidding. As domestic threats rise, the question is who they're watching. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Signature reduction is literally well over uh, a decade old. Okay, and they were spying on us pre-9-11 with Norris Insight Systems. We played those clips. This has a long precedence. Okay, and I want to believe that, you know, I, I, I spent my money on my blue check mark. I want Tucker to super succeed, and there's no way he won't if he puts on a 45-minute to an hour show produced the way he's produced it in the past. There's absolutely no way it won't kill on Twitter. In fact... You'll, you'll probably see upwards of 20 to 100 million. And I, and I see people crack and joke, oh, the boomers, they don't even know how to use Twitter. They're his biggest audience. Old people will find a way if it's on Twitter. This is brilliant for Musk. And look, you can argue whether or not Twitter was worth $44 billion, right? But with the biggest thing in nightly news coming exclusively to your platform, apparently for free, you've just become a established media powerhouse. Now, reportedly, Tuck was getting $20 million a year now. Uh, that's, I, I saw numbers that were only 1.8, 1.9. I was like, damn, that's really low. I don't know if that's, that, that sounds real. 20 does sound about right, especially when you're talking about Fox News, uh, the numbers he was pulling, how long he'd been there what they pay people like Rachel Maddow. Um, but what Tuck had to say was powerful. We got a break coming up. There's more things I want to break down about signature reduction, about uh, companies like Data Miner, about this Trojan horse civilian system that is Twitter, that is Google, that is Facebook as well. And even if they don't start out that way, okay, people come in on the inside and maneuver their way in. They maneuver their way in, just like you might need to maneuver financially. It's time for a word for our sponsor. If we can get it going. Have you heard of Executive Order 14067? This little-known order implemented the digital dollar, the most sinister plan to control your spending. And it gets worse. In November, the federal government and banks began a test program to roll out the digital dollar. With this, privacy for all Americans will be lost forever. Imagine, the government can now track all of your spending. The government can tell you what you can and can't buy. The government could confiscate your cash. When digital currency was rolled out in China, Bloomberg wrote, quote, this will lead to control like no other, end quote. 
The EU has announced that they are next, but it is already happening in America, which makes this wealth protection guide that American Alternative Assets just put out even more urgent. Project Hamilton, as this secret order is being called, might be the scariest order to happen to privacy and freedom in America since its founding, which makes this wealth protection guide so incredibly valuable right now. Move your money out of cash and into something that doesn't infringe on your privacy. You see, there is one legal IRS-proof loophole that could protect your IRA, 401k, and pension savings with gold and silver. And this free guide tells you exactly which steps you need to take right now to move part of your IRA or 401k into precious metals with no tax consequences. As this program rolls out, the sky's the limit for the level of government control that could be enforced on your money. Protect your savings and your privacy. But in the devastation ahead, American Alternative Assets is offering you something rare, a chance to protect your wealth and possibly even grow it. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have, but that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. And that's what the news media are doing in every story that matters every day of the week, every week of the year. What's it like to work in a system like that? After more than 30 years in the middle of it, we could tell you stories. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. The rule of what you can't say defines everything. It's filthy, really, and it's utterly corrupting. You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter. So let's just stop right there. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. That's why we just talked about all the Trojan uh, horse civilian system aspects and even the Tuckins himself, although everything he just said was true. He also highlighted the fact that they still had what? Intel guys working there, right? Still had Intel people working there and there was no comment on that. And then he failed to ask the muskernuts that on one of the final interviews before he was fired from Fox. Just want to point that out. That's fair reporting. Where we are now. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. 
And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We'll be bringing some other things, too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. So one of my biggest questions surrounding this isn't even really with Tucker. It's are they bringing back Media Studio? Am I gonna be am I gonna be able to stream on Twitter again ever? It's kind of a big deal to me. I like I'd like to be streaming this to Twitter. I'd also like the algorithm to actually project it to a decent portion of my thirty five thousand plus followers. I mean, look at the movement. I'd say the most movement I had, and pictures are like the biggest things. I get it. Memes are the biggest things. Is me posting um, the the B.O.B. 23 cartoon of Prince Charles with the hands. But we have enough of an audience where we should be able to get like 50 retweets on a live stream. We're lucky to get five or 10. Let me repeat that. 50 retweets. Look at my pinned Musk video where, where I'm showing you the connections between Musk, transhumanism, NASA, the military industrial complex. I have to pin that up there, and it's got minutia views and shares. Same with exposing McGregor. Had that pinned up there forever. These are two of the most trending people on the planet. On the planet. I have 30-plus thousand followers, many of which who do retweet and look at my stuff. But we can't make anything go viral on that site. I think it's bullshit. I really do. And look, talk far from perfect. I still think it's good to make this the new YouTube. At least there can be some possible monetization here, right? Like you got to understand I'm coming from a place where now I have to pay to stream. God bless Red Voice Media and God bless you guys for supporting me. But it's the inverse of what was happening, you know, a decade ago when this started to boom on the streaming. Between like 13 and 16, you started seeing it. Uh, mo- eh, I'd say, yeah, yeah, between 13 and 16, 14 and 15 were big because it was pre-Trump. Um, it was starting to become the norm. But you, you monetization and streaming, there was a way to monetize your work. Now, look, yeah, you can monetize your work on Rumble. Uh, I, I just barely like maybe a little bit more than break even for the year. I pay the $25 a month fee, which comes out to about $300 for the year, so that if we do take off, if I do get more help, I can just put more channels in there, more streams. Like we can make a clip stream here where you can go and you don't want to watch me for two hours. I get it. 10 or 15 minute clips, five minute clips. We have that ability. Okay. And plus you'd have to pay $10 a month just to stream. So it's, it's a fee. Podbean, okay, in order to do the live streaming function and to put vidcasts up there as well, which also have limitations, you got, I pay 300 plus dollars a year. <laughs> so, you know, and that's just real. 
And now I, I paid the blue check mark, not because I wanted to, but because uh, at the very least, at first I thought maybe I'd get my media studio back and I could stream. I'm hoping now that the Tuckins is in, we'll be able to stream again. Fingers crossed. And by the way, we're going to go to your questions and comments over on uh, YouTube in a moment. So get them in. Tell me what you think of the Tuckins. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you can call me Shilly McBurmis, if you will. I know a lot of people don't like me talking about this, but this was the last guy in news and telling any semblance of truth and starting to talk about 9-11. It's a big deal, you know? Uh, so, yeah, no, I paid the 80-plus dollars for the year. I, I don't think I'm going to be monetizing Twitter right away. But if they start to have a system that actually works where, you know, right now the, the system is video is just under an hour if you pay. So I break the uh, show up into two hours, and I try to also put it on there. We get a few hundred views. And, and how many of those are the people that don't have the thing clicked off for the data saver that are just scrolling and just stop for a second? And they, they don't even watch it? It's rough. It's rough. So I, I would love to see Twitter become the new YouTube in a sense that uh, you could monetize it. Because I think Twitter spaces are garbage. Yeah, for me, Twitter spaces, I guess, would be a little bit better. One... Uh, if I could use my desktop, which I, I can't seem to use on Twitter spaces, they don't work. My microphone won't work on it. So I can go and listen, but I can't really be a part of it. And two, if they had some kind of a video function, which they don't have, right? Um, because essentially that, that would be a cool aspect to rival YouTube. Like if I'm doing a live stream and I can pull over and it's not just a chat, and I can bring the person in not only to talk, but maybe even to video stream right there with their question. Awesome. Awesome. It's also going to cause a lot of problems uh, because who knows what people are going to do live on the air on Twitter. But, you know, if they violate the terms and services, I guess that's on them. Okay. Um, before I go into uh, the chat, which I'm going to do, I promise, and we're going to do your questions and comments, I kind of want to go back. To, to this idea of these things being narrative control mechanisms, especially Twitter, right? And the idea that the FBI, the NSA, the CIA, and then pseudo-government uh, authoritarian organizations such as Signature Reduction are also involved. At the same time, right, you had people that realized that they could take advantage of this if they cheated, like this guy right here. Like... Uh, <laughs> like, it's funny. Who knows what he looks like? Microchip. This is a 2017 article. Um, this is what the Makani case was really about. There were no Russian bots. Let me repeat that. No Russian. Russians hacked our election. Russian interference. Undue influence. Russia, 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 Russia. No. I mean, again, hysteria. <laughs> like, this is it. Indeed, in a national atmosphere charged by unproven accusations about a massive network of Russian social media influence, the story of how Microchip helped build the most notorious pro-Trump Twitter network seems almost mundane. Less technologically daunting intelligence operation than, <coughs> than a clever patchworking of tools nearly any computer literate person could manage. It also suggests that some of the current Russian Trump bot hysteria may be, well, a hysteria. It's all us, not Russians, Microchip said, and we're not going to stop. So again, I mean, there'll, there'll be 
people of, of a very, very low IQ, okay, that, that have been just like watching Rachel Maddow and watching Chris Hayes and watching ABC News that will say that this new move by, by the Tuckins is, is a Russian move. Hey, I mean, this is directed by Vladimir Putin Put himself, the Putin. The Putin and Musk have now colluded with Tucker Nuts to bring you disinformation on a large scale and, and delegitimize Twitter further as a white supremacist haven in Munchkin land. But you see what the FBI did, right? They made it about national security. They hyped you up to a foreign enemy. They tried to make Donnie T into a Russian asset. And now all I'm seeing after yesterday in that trial with uh, the actress and the writer, he's a sexual predator now. He's a se And look, I have no idea if he ever met the woman, touched the woman, talked to the woman. I got to be honest. I have no clue. But if you look at the timing... And you look at who funded it, and you look at how it's after his first presidency. I mean, come on, man. Come on, man, as Joe Biden would say. Come on, man. So now, again, he's a, he's a, con he's a convicted sexual predator. But Joe, I allegedly showered with my daughter, Biden. Joe, pedo Peter in my own son's phone book in his contacts. Joe sniff sniffing away Biden. Joe actually grab him by the you know what? Hmm? Allegedly. By a woman who was ignored in the mainstream media. He's fine. He's fine. But Donnie T's the bad guy. He's the bad man. He works with Russia. We're gonna take a break. We're going to come back after a word from our sponsor. You're still looking good. I'm still feeling good. You know, I've got all your MyPillow products. Mattress topper, bed sheets, MyPillows, towels, slippers, blankets, sleepwear. Whoa, whoa, Charles. Everyone now can get MyPillow products at huge discounts at MyPillow.com. That's right. Now's the time to go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to take advantage of our three-in-one sale. We're bringing you exciting new products, overstock specials, and closeout deals you won't find anywhere else. For example, when you buy one of our brand new MyPillow 2.0s, you get another one absolutely free. And with our overstock sale, you save 50% on our luxurious Giza Dream bed sheets. That's as low as $29.99 for the best sheets ever. And with our biggest closeout special, you get our all-season slippers for only $35 or our sandals and slides for just $25. Quantities are limited, and once they're gone, they're gone. We are back, and as promised, uh, we're going to go to some of your questions and comments, so get them in. You tell me how you feel about the tuck-ins, uh, Donnie T, whatever else is in the news, and, and I've got a thread on uh, the mall shooter that I want to share with you from Michael Tracy. Michael Tracy, far from perfect. But I got to tell you, as far as, uh, again, semi-mainstream media and somebody who worked for the mainstream media for some time, and I believe has, has been a part of the censorship and corruption on, I, I mean, not him personally, I'm saying happening to him, 
censorship and corruption, especially when the Ukraine war. Uh, worth looking at this thread. So we're going to look at that in a moment as well. I want to remind everybody, you want to support the broadcast, it is redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. That's going to get you two, two, two exclusive interviews every week. Alicia Powell, January 6th. In fact, uh, we talk about people to follow on Twitter other than myself. The researcher is the man, is the man, at listen underscore to learn. And he's got a, a really great thread on the manufacturing of January 6th, okay? And, uh, and how it really did go down. Alicia Powell and I discuss the uh, Proud Boys verdict, seditious conspiracy, great interview. Wayne Dupree, another great interview. Uh, me reaching out to somebody who's more of a mainline conservative, right? I, I guess what, what would be considered a mainline conservative, but that's the discussion, right? We talk about what it really means to be a conservative at this point. So let's get uh, down to it. He's critical of Musk and Tuck, but watches Ellen. I don't watch Ellen. Listen, when I when I say Ellen was on, we're talking. I, I probably I'll tell you where I probably saw it, and and it was on. It's probably like morning show, afternoon show. I, I know it was like a daytime show. I was probably in the pizza shop with my buddy, maybe even helping him out with the pies or making boxes, and it was on the TV. I, I, how dare you insinuate? That I watch Ellen. I, I can promise you right now. I, I don't think there's uh, that type of a talk show that I've watched start to finish in well over I mean, close to 20 years. I mean, I used to watch nighttime TV. I used to watch Letterman and Conan. Um, I, I did. I used to love Saturday Night Live. You know that. Like if I was staying in, or even if I. Uh, you know, caught it on the rewind. I actually did enjoy it. Even as a younger guy, when you're in high school and maybe you're not going out drinking all the time, or you shouldn't be, hanging with friends, just something I did. All right, let's keep going down the line. The whole Tucker business has the hallmarks of a Russian plot. Yes, Robert. Yes, a Russian plot indeed. I hope that's pure sarcasm. I really do. Instincts are usually the best guess to what's really happening. I hope Scott New York City is also kidding. Like that's the cartoon. You you wonder like I, who knows whether these guys are are being facetious in the comments or not. But you also wonder about the bots that are out there. I if you were to talk about where my status is in kind of influencing things across the board in media in general or I am a micro micro influencer. Okay, and I'm not. I hate the term influencer, and the only time. That we, you know, talk micro is in the chip sense, right? Again, micro, microchip, the Russian bots. And now he's arrested by the FBI, protected by the FBI, all that good stuff. Got a Rockfin tip. Let's go. Nathan Stoltman. Interesting. How you doing, Nathan? Nathan uh, does his own thing. Uh, lift the veil. And uh, you can check that out across uh, the board on uh, many a platform. I appreciate that, brother. It's very nice of you. So, um, let's keep going down the line. Good day from Australia. Uh, memory, memory hold right here. He's the memory man. He's had many a, a different account. Uh, he's a vocal artist, not a truth teller. It's a, he's a vampire, CIA Tucker. See, 
I don't know what to think, man. I don't know. L listen, my boy Robbie Martin, who's hypercritical, probably will never come on the show again, which is unfortunate. I, I like him. I like his sister. I think they do good work. Uh, he goes hard on the talk. He goes even harder on Mike Flynn. And I get it. I get it. And, and where the tuck has failed, like that's why we play the David uh, Ray Griffin clips. That Tucker Carlson is in a lot of ways a guy that could probably on, on many levels never relate to what I would call the average person or at least somebody that kind of lived my life and what many of us lived life in this country through the last 30 to 50 years, right? I don't even go below that because let's be be honest, the, the 24 and under crowd, they're not watching the show, okay? I wish they were. I wish they were more engaged. I, I, I wish that my youthful appearance and vigor would appeal to them more. I appeal more to boomers, unfortunately. Tucker Carlson, you know, has no idea what it was like to stand in a grocery line and use food stamps. Or has no idea what it's like to get evicted from an apartment that you didn't have heat on for a couple days in the wintertime. Okay? Tucker Carlson has no idea what it's like to, you know, have to get punched in the face because you were wearing the Payless sneakers. There's a lot of things. Tucker Carlson has no idea <laughs> what it's like to work 20 hours a week on top of going to like a state school that you had to take a loan out for. Right? All those things. Obviously comes by, by um, you know, means of privilege. His father did work with intelligence and the media sector. Uh, he was one of the most disdainable people. And, and this is where my, my, if my brother's watching, he'll love this. Because my brother's take on Tucker Carlson is, and this is before he got fired, is they let him do his thing because he sits there and he la laughs about it in such a pompous manner. It's very easy for people on the other side to dismiss him kind of as a cartoon, right? I don't disagree with that. I understand that because I used to hate Tucker Carlson when he was on MSNBC and wearing the bow tie. He was one of the most, and like, I, I actually liked watching those networks. Yeah, I know it, guys. Oh my goodness. You know, early 2000s, Jason Berman's watching those Democratic networks. I'm just saying. I want to believe that some people can change, like that that guy has got a soul. I do. I want, Robbie, I want to believe it. I want to believe the same thing about Flynn. And Flynn, I, I mean, when you look at resumes, yeah, Tuck has a huge audience. Flynn is on the inside of major global disinformation campaigns under the Obama administration. He's openly talked about it. Now, I, I've spent time around him privately. That's like, I haven't, sat down and had a huge conversation with him. Um, in fact, I, I would say that the bulk of, you know, any kind of actual conversation about policy or anything like that you guys have seen is when I asked him a question at the last Reawaken uh, America tour to get his response on the Mar-a-Lago raids, the classified documents fiasco, where they were going to go with Donnie T, etc. I, I think Flynn's a good person. I, I've seen him interact with people behind the scenes. I've been around enough people to get a vibe on who I don't necessarily love, on people I really do love that got my heart. And then people that, 
I, I see it. And again, I want to I want to believe that he made the turn. He turned the corner. That's why they went after him with the Logan Act. Like, let's be honest about it. I've been I, I've been beating the drum on the Logan Act and Bilderberg. Bilderberg coming up this weekend, by the way. Uh, tomorrow's the last show. That means that tomorrow they're going to start arriving, allegedly, in Lisbon, Portugal. So if that is the case, I'm going to do my best to get a Bilderberg show going tomorrow for sure, even if that's like a watch-along with parts of uh, certain parts of my film so I can kind of describe the importance of Bilderberg and the players of Bilderberg. I reached out to Truthstream. I got no response. I, I You know, I better call him. I better just... I better just call Dykes and make him answer the damn phone. <laughs> I'm calling you, Aaron. Make him answer the damn phone and get him on. Uh, I, I might even have to get a Dan Dix interview. I did talk about Bilderberg briefly with Dan Dix over at um, AMP uh, a couple weeks back or three weeks back when I was substitute hosting, all that stuff. So a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, let's, let's continue on. Let's take the questions and comments. We're all being duped. People like this guy are what you call controlled opposition. Again, that's the Tuckins, man. I, 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 who else is talking about 9-11 and Building 7 right now? He's the only guy. He's the only guy. And let's see how hard he comes out uh, swinging. How, how he comes out swinging with the new show. Right? BS, the USA inhibitors are mostly brave. And don't forget, they are Germanic in their roots like me. Not sure what that means. And I, I know, my man, memory, that you're not uh, you're not coming after me. I get it. I get it. Um, but listen, I, I'm not making $20 million a year <laughs> yet. Burmese, live long and prosper. I'm trying. Uh, Tucker's dad taught him well. Again, I, we talked about the Tuckin's dad. Gab is actually the only true free speech platform. That's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ugly, but also good, which is, is how free speech works. Uh, Elijah, that's a great point. And you know, Gab has reached out to me. The thing is that you're right. There is a lot of ugly there. And I'm, hey, ugly isn't illegal and you have to defend ugly, right? At the same time, you know, it's, I don't, I already see enough of my social media feed that, impacts me and I got to think about how I'm going to handle it and I don't want it to impact my day to day like it's awesome out right now sunny days um you know later on in the day I might even do a walk and talk get out of the house it's gorgeous out go see some friends talk over some some uh pancakes or chicken wings depending I live my life and uh, adding another social media platform that's tough that's tough. Even and that's another great thing about RVM is they've handled a lot of these alternative platforms that I barely use in order to distribute the material because we're trying to reach everybody. Tuck could be gone, and this is all an AI deepfake. We're there. I mean, I obviously don't believe that, and I'm saying that somewhere, somewhat tongue in cheek, right? I, I don't believe that's happening. I'm saying it tongue in cheek, but, but. Yeah, that's not impossible, is it? No, it's 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 certainly not impossible. It's something that absolutely uh, could be going down, like uh, <laughs> like we're at running man level. I, I I don't want that would be the ultimate mother truckins, right? There's so many people out there. It's not the real Biden. It's the real Biden. 
Look at the dead look in his eyes. That's the real Biden. His ears. Nope, nope. That's plastic surgery and Botox and God knows what they're in jail. It's a mask. I doubt it. <laughs> and you got to love the people that like speculate what actor they think Joe Biden is. Talk about clown town. Boy, boy, oh, boy, oh. My goodness. It's James Woods. Yes, James Woods is playing Joe Biden uh, intermittently when Jim Carrey is not pl playing Joe Biden. I mean, cartoon level ridiculous. Uh, let's see. We got some same to the tuck. Burmis treading lightly as he low-key begs Tuck for a job. Let me say right now, not begging Tucker Carlson for a job, uh, but if Tucker Carlson said, Jason, I love what you do. I want you to do it on whatever network we're putting together, or I want you to have a segment on the show, or I want you to be a man on the street in any kind of situation and do reporting from there. Do you think I'd say no to that? What Can anybody give me one good reason why I would say no to that? Like a, 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 like a good reason. Because you don't want to associate with CIA. We haven't established he's CIA or disinformation. And wouldn't that lend credence to the guy? If he brought a guy like me on who's not... I'm not going to bend the knee to, you know, Elon Musk. And I'm going to encourage Tucker, if I was ever to get that close, to ask real questions. Can you imagine if... If at some point, because I took a job with Tucker, I got a one-on-one -on -one with Musk and we could start talking about space warfare and reality sauce and rockets and what they really do and, and, and this farce of going to the moon and Mars and Artemis and challenge. I, I, I don't think there's any way I'm getting a job with Tucker Carlson. But I got to tell you, uh, if I had the opportunity, I'd take it. It's just like, do you think the UFC is offering me a job after the things that I've said uh, about their, their boy, Connor? Probably not. Final segment for the second hour coming up after this word from our sponsor. Folks, we have a huge problem on our hands. A banking crisis is spiraling, and it's all thanks to the current administration's reckless spending sky-high inflation, and massive interest rate hikes. Now, these banks are suffering, and guess what? They can legally seize your savings without notice to bail themselves out. That's right. Thanks to a sneaky law passed back in 2008, it's now legal for banks to take your hard-earned money, including your retirement savings, to save themselves. Now, this could leave your retirement accounts decimated and you paying the price for their disastrous policies. Take action now before it's too late. Now this guide will show you how to defend your money and keep your retirement savings safe from the banking crisis and the current administration's financial fiasco. This simple and 100% legal strategy may help you protect your retirement against higher taxes, soaring inflation, and a volatile economy. So don't let your golden years be ruined by someone else's mistakes. To secure your free wealth protection guide and safeguard what's rightfully yours. Don't wait. The time to act is now. You know, I, I just got to say this. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm reading some of this. Uh, Tucker's mom left him enough money to never work. Would you work if you had enough money to live on? Th th that's whatever. We'll get that to in a minute. Earlier, I, I mentioned, oh no, go back up. Um, red, right? Uh, on the, uh, on the stream right here. 
And then this is the, this is one of the guys from Tap Out Radio. And look what he has to say. He knows what I'm talking about. Good on you, Jason, for doing this for so long for basically sweatshop wages. This is Redneck from Tap Out Radio. I remember you, brother. I brought you up today. Yeah, again, my Twitter journey really became came with your partner. We spoke a few times many years ago. Yes, so glad to see you fighting a good fight. So, so weird <laughs> that I bring this up and then he's in the chat. So bizarre. Say so it shows you, man, the law of attraction is real. And yeah, I listen, I don't do this for the money at all. It's great that I'm able to make a living. Thank God. Because otherwise, yeah, man, I'm working 40 to 60, sometimes more hours at two to three jobs at a time. Like even when I made Shade the Motion Picture, I was working uh, 40 to 60 hours at Cooperstown Dreams Park around the video department there in the busy times, especially like the, the summer. I did have the day job that was nice when they weren't there, but you still had a lot to do, okay? And I'm blessed to be able to do this. Absolutely blessed. I want to expand. I want people to check this stuff out. I'm so lucky I get to interact with an audience like this. And again, guys, you want to support me? It's redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. Ten bucks a month. Two extra interviews on top of that. Eight, 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 eight hours with limited commercial interruptions that you get from me every single week and that doesn't include mixed martial mindset when we do it we did that last week that's like an extra hour that doesn't include the photo uh the fold alongs or the dish wash alongs it's all there redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored tell them jason burma sent you and sign up you get all of red voice media's premium stuff the second hour is coming up quick it is an interview on so many subjects pertaining to what we are doing to our children and our young girls in particular. We're talking about science. We're talking about spirituality. We're talking about the family unit. We're talking about authoritarianism and the state and collectivism. Simon Essler, uh, daughtersofthewestfilm.com. You're not going to want to miss that one. And that's at rvmrumble.com or the Red Voice Media main channel, not RVM Clips, the main channel. And there's a big RVM Live. That's where you can find the second hour, especially if you're on YouTube. Right after the uh, VPN commercial for IP Vanish, which I use, that's where it's going to be. We're going to cut off from YouTube. So make sure that you go over to the RVM Rumble for that second hour. Really going to want to do that. Okay. Let's keep going down the line. Not learning a job you have to go to that's not in service to humanity. Maybe Tuck uh, thinks he serves humanity. Who knows? I, mean, I wanna. I I hope so. Shilly McBurmis question: When are you getting married? <laughs> Who knows, man? Uh, you know I don't like talking about my relationships, uh, especially you know the one I'm in right now. Uh, I I love my girlfriend. We have a huge distance with one another uh, physically. I have my family here. She has her daughter there. Uh, she's been heavily embedded in this DC Proud Boys case. Uh, th that's, you know, done a number on things. Everybody will be the first to know when when Jason Burmas, if Jason Burmas is getting married. Because Jason Burmas wants a family. Believe me. Uh, Tucker says, the truth, any other questions you have, come back to just ask the question. Tucker fanboys found. I have arrived. Okay, Biscotti. How we doing? 
Uh, let's see. And yet there he is. Tucker can work where he wants. He has skills. What you most all have not. Well, I mean, again, he can't really work anywhere because he has probably a non-compete uh, through January of 2025, which makes him il ineligible. And it really kind of takes him out of the arena of... Uh, <sighs> of being able to report on the election, at least from a mainstream perspective. I think that's part of the plot here. And by the way, before uh, we go back, and we are going to go back there, I, I told you I wanted to go down this one thread. And let's see. It's this one right here. Michael Tracy, you know, pointing out, like, you know, allegedly right here, this is the shooter. All right. And and I know there are people that are trying to say that he, he didn't have the Nazi stuff. It seems like he did. Seems like he was more of like a metalhead guy, though. And Michael Tracy just kind of breaks it down on what he was posting on social media and how it seemed like he was mentally ill, which we've also talked about, and how he was talking, uh, you know, irreverent nonsense that wasn't really focused in, you know, white supremacy. And, and again, those tattoos are fresh from this weird site, all that stuff. Michael Tracy doing good stuff. I just wanted to quickly go over that before we got into uh, the second hour with Simon Esler. So let's go back to your questions and comments. It's all theater. It's all theater. Gee, pervs in both parties. Imagine that. Yes, imagine that. Ima imagine. I can't believe it. Uh, morning, JC. How are we? Uh, I'm ordering a my pillow next payday. Boom! Use that RVM code, Oz. I'm banned. <laughs> Redneck over at Tap Out Radio. We got we got Nathan Stoltman from uh, Lift the Veil in there. We got Redman on there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, if you would like to help, yep, the links are down below. I appreciate that, Karen. I really do. Sorry, I love the news from Tucker Carlson. Jonas is a big tuck. He likes the tuck. Why isn't there a statue of limitations in effect anymore? She was married to a news anchor and had no proof nor what day in 1996. It's, it's really weird. And uh, Sue's champion is talking about, of course, the Donnie T civil case. I, I think we're in a real dark spot where you already kind of had a corrupt system, but now it, it's been used in a manner where it's not only politicized, but it's been weaponized against those who are a real political threat. Right? It's just like the real whistleblowers don't get protection. Now if you've you've had some movement against these people, they're just throwing it all at you. Yeah, they'll get a corrupt judge in there. Yeah, they'll get a corrupt district attorney in there. There's always going to be some social climber. There's, there's always going to be a yes man, period. Always. Geez, Jonas, the man told you himself that he's been a liar for pay. When someone tells you they who they are, believe them. I'm with you, Katie. But at the same time, I don't think that there are any of us out there that could honestly look at other people and say that what? That uh, they've never told a lie before. Uh, or that they're not a hypocrite on some level. We're all hypocrites on some level. We've all told lies. We all have things that we've done and do that we're not proud of, that we should be working on. That's called being human. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can get it right all the time either. That's, that's an impossibility, okay, because you're a human being. You don't have all of the knowledge of, of the universe. Just impossible. Let's see. The TV talk show era is over. It pretty much is over. 
especially with the AI writing scripts, right? Um, instincts uh, as trust your hunches. People are getting depressed more and more. Yes, they are. Ha again, happiness comes from human interactions, all right? It comes from setting goals, achieving those goals, having a purpose, a purpose-based lifestyle. That, that's a huge thing of happiness and acceptance, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's something to be said for being stubborn as a mother trucker and not, I'm not telling you to accept what other people think about you or what's being imposed on limitations, but acceptance of what you can change and then acknowledgement of, you know, what you can't change. So when you accept what you can change, that doesn't mean just acknowledging it. That means working towards it. And hopefully you can get it done and you don't fail. But if you fail, maybe you get a lesson out of it. But you also have, a, have to acknowledge and then accept what you can't change at least today. And maybe you can de devise a plan on how you're going to be part of that change. But very much, you know, the, the uh, thing we used to say over at we are changes. Be the change you want to see in the world. And I can't reiterate that enough at all. People have an inner instinct that speaks truth. That's where I was going. Can we tip on this channel? No, you can't, Red. No, you can't, my man. I wish you could. We've been demonetized for three years. And I've had my channel taken four or five times. Okay? Four or five times. I, I lost count, but I basically... Twitter was the vehicle. So again... Twitter sucks. It's a Trojan horse civilian system. It's got limitations. It's how I got my YouTube channel back. And yeah, I can't make money here on YouTube. We discussed that earlier. But we can reach people and then bring them to the other platforms because it's really about getting the information out. Uh, get a bribe or killed, what would you choose? <laughs> a bot would certainly pick a better name than mine. Am I right, Katie Kane? I don't know. You're on InfoWars. That ain't nothing. I mean, sometimes I have a band video channel. I haven't hosted the Alex Jones show in months on the fourth hour. But again, there, there's another example. I, I don't agree with everything Alex says. You know, I, I think he probably got the cartel thing wrong recently, but who knows? And again, I'm not weighing any judgment on what did or didn't happen there. I, I know that at least in the other case where you have these uh, people mowed down by a car, the, the white supremacy talk went away pretty quick when you see who actually got arrested. And again, I don't know if that was a cartel hit, etc. I wouldn't hesitate to host the fourth hour if I got a, a text message or a phone call today. Of course I would. 100%. Good on you, Jason. Oh, yep, we, we already said that. Thank you very much. We do appreciate it. Um, let's see there. Yep, that's the PayPal thing. Just want to pinch those cheeks, Jason. Oh, you are such a sweetie. You are such a sweetie. Uh, start making short video clips and put them on TikTok. Well, we need somebody else to do that because I'm not TikToking, but we, we would make a TikTok for that. We're TikToking. All right, here's the deal. Thumbs it up, subscribe, share, RVM's Rumble. That's where you're going to find the second hour. After the word for, from our sponsor, we're going to be gone from YouTube and the other platforms today because we're posting the second hour separately, but you can watch it right now, right now over at rumble red voice media style thumbs it up subscribe share go over there do the same i love you guys and don't forget to ip vanish 
We love the internet, but the internet is tracking everything you do. Take control of your online privacy with IP Vanish. People with malicious intent are everywhere, watching you. Criminals can hack your Wi-Fi, while broadband providers and advertisers monitor your data. With IP Vanish on your device, your internet activity is encrypted. No one can see what you're doing. Your location, your connection, completely hidden. Protect your internet privacy today with IP Vanish. All right, folks, we are back. And about a month or so ago, I was uh, sitting in hosting uh, Making Sense of the Madness for AMP. And I had the pleasure to meet a filmmaker who recently put out a uh, powerhouse of a documentary film. It's called Cut, Daughters of the West. And if you go to daughtersofthewestfilm.com, you can learn more about it and how you can stream it. And uh, this guy's been in the game for a lot longer than I knew. He actually has worked with my friend Adam from Dauntless Dialogue. He's going to be coming on the program in the coming weeks as well. And I thought it would be really interesting not only to talk about this film, which is looking at the influence of the media, Hollywood, celebritard culture in general, on our children in a way most people won't even whisper. And it's to put them in a state where they're no longer happy with their biology and they're turning towards actually cutting themselves up with plastic surgery as a gateway, if you will, uh, to an even more nefarious agenda. So without further ado, filmmaker uh, Simon Essler is with us to discuss this and so much more. Simon, how has the release of this film been going? Because, you know, let's kick it off there and then get to know you a little bit better. But this is a recent release. Um, I, I know that you're on tour, you're out there grassroots, on the ground, showing this at local theaters and in groups. It's something that I was very used to back in my loose change, fabled enemies, invisible empire days, where you got to get on the ground and do those things. Um, tell us about the reception, because again, this is a powerful film that, to me, reaches across left or right or any type of political ideology other than trying to keep children safe. Uh, the reception has been really, really good. It has been a powerful response from people who have, I think, been waiting for a film that um, that invites them into a broader understanding of this issue and that, like you said, can be shown to people on both sides of the aisle, which is specifically why I designed it the way that I did. And so I have had a lot of people reach out and express to me how impactful this film was for them and the extent to which it really communicated how immensely difficult and dangerous it is for girls to try to become healthy women in our society and really what they've been up against for generations. Uh, and so, you know, I've had people reach out from, from across the world. I've been in touch with uh, some, some groups in New Zealand who are looking to share this film with their network. You know, they've been working to stand up for women and trying to respond to some of the gender ideology influences over there. Uh, I have screenings that are being organized across the United States and here in Toronto. And I think, you know, the reception speaks to what people have been looking for, because I think people are a little bit tapped out in terms of the political rhetoric. People are kind of tired of it being spun as this left or right wing issue. And it's actually refreshing, I think, even though it's very dark and kind of difficult to confront, 
it is refreshing for people to start to look at things across generations and to look at the way that cultural trends can unfold slowly over time and what really happens when we don't pay attention and take control of our culture and take responsibility for it. And I'm so glad that you put it that way because gradualism, incrementalism is a, a tool, in my opinion, of the predator class. They look at things in 5, 10, 20, 100 year increments and slowly but surely make their way into aspects of society that were unimaginable even a decade ago, I would argue, especially in regards to children. And when we talk about the cultural influence over this, it's always ironic to me that right now we're in a society and a culture where we're constantly being told and hammered that this new gender ideology that's amongst children cannot be one of influence, but it's inherent. And meaning, meaning uh, meanwhile, you have what they're calling social media influencers. It's literally in the name promoting this agenda and influencing it. And the only time that we can talk about quote unquote undue influence is when we talk about Russia, Russia, Russia and their influence. Otherwise it doesn't exist. All these years, for instance, of boys uh, generally wanting to be firemen and police officers and astronauts had nothing to do with the culture and play cowboys and Indians. No, 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 it wasn't that. And girls wanting to be princesses and pretty, that wasn't Barbie dolls, etc. Apparently that's all out the window. So what has been this cultural shift where we're supposed to ignore reality and remain ignorant to the agenda that's before us today? It's this sort of blank slateism that states that absolutely everything is a social construct on the one hand. And so, you know, this is the idea that there's no such thing as sexual dimorphism, which is a really important part of evolution in which, you know, we can comprehend the difference between the sexes in animals and in humans. Uh, there's the claim that that doesn't exist. Uh, they're, they're doing this, you know, across the whole sort of uh, educational system in North America. It's similar with critical race theory. Uh, you know, a lot of these social justice movements have this idea of blank slateism, and, and it's false for a number of reasons, but mainly because it is divorced from nature. And this has been ongoing for a long time, uh, especially in terms of women's bodies. I think when we look at the way these agendas have treated the actual female form, we get a very, very clear picture of what's going on. So we can look further back in time to the way that birthing culture was dealt with, the way that women were disassociated with their inherent capacity to give birth. It was suddenly treated as this medical emergency. Uh, they were suddenly thrown into hospitals as if they didn't have millions of years of evolutionary knowledge surging through them, giving them an understanding of how to bring children into this world uh, before, before hospitals existed. Not to say that they haven't made it somewhat safer, but it's an example of this divorce from biology and then we can see it in the way that feminism treated women. So in trying to get uh, women out of the home and into the workforce, it was an absolute divorce from the woman's connection to the child in their developmental years, similar to the way that propaganda was used to push formula into the home to replace breastfeeding. We can see that breastfeeding disappeared for, uh, almost disappeared for about a 50 year period in the United States, huge impact. Um, and so this whole divorcing from the female form, ignoring the female form, suppressing the female form, this is a big part of what's been going on. 
And the way I confront this in my film is you know, really the way that it's been done through cosmetic surgery, because 92% of all cosmetic surgeries are performed on women and girls. This is an industry that has had, had its eye on women's bodies this entire time and has been normalizing this idea that your body is an obstacle to who you are and you need to modify it to become yourself. And let's talk about that because it's gotten to extremes. And oftentimes I see people skirting around the issue that if you're having these issues, whether it be with your gender or your identity, the problem very much is with yourself and how you view yourself and what you're doing in your life in general. Now, there are certain things that biologically we actually can change as human beings. For instance, men can very much change their physical appearance through exercise in a manner that maybe even women can't without really exerting themselves. I mean, women can get in shape, especially if they're out of shape. I'm not saying that. But men can transform themselves and uh, really put themselves into a different state of being. Men can also try different looks, beards, women can't do that, mustaches, they can shave their heads, some of them can grow their hair out, etc. They have more options how they can change themselves biologically, and there's less of a pressure as to what the ideal man is, other than probably strong and musculature, tall, etc. But we've changed that a lot culturally through, to, through celebrity and media, I'd argue as well. Women... It's either you're beautiful or you're not. No amount of makeup makes it one way or the other. Yes, that dress and outfit is cute. Yes, that bag, the accessories are always cute. But like you said, there's always been this push that your nose isn't good enough or your lips need to be bigger. Or right now the trend is your bottom dollar where back in the day it might have been your bustier, right? Talking about breast implants and now butt implants actually became a thing. And these are all things that are accentuated by the fact that the class that most people worship is the screen class. I won't even call them the television class because you watch this just as much as that, especially in the youth. And you're watching movie stars and Kardashian reality stars as much as you're watching Instagram social media influencers. But there's a look. And you've got to be that look. Where did it go overboard? Because I, I very much remember the 1980s and there was kind of a, a takeoff towards the end of the 80s, early 90s with the Barbie look and the breast implant thing, right? And then by the end of the 90s, early 2000s, you did start seeing whispers on talk shows of 16-year-old girls from very wealthy families having this done to them. And now... We're at a point, and I'm sure you, you point this out in the film, that it's not just wealthy families. It's middle class that are under attack as well. And it, it's extended from like that 16, you know, sweet 16 thing to much younger. So what we're looking at here is, first of all, a cosmetic surgery industry that has had uh, a very corrupt moral landscape for a long time and increasingly corrupt in that, yes, it has aimed itself towards younger and younger and younger women. Uh, the growth of the cosmetic surgery industry itself, uh, you know, there was there was a, a need for the existing industry of cosmetic surgeons to do something because coming out of uh, the war, the era of World War One and World War Two, uh, 
uh, which is primarily why we needed cosmetic surgeons. It was to heal people from war. Uh, we all of a sudden had a whole industry of plastic surgeons with nothing to do and with all this advanced new technology and an entire population of people with disposable wealth. And so there was a great reliance on the cosmetic surgery industry on what cultural trends were going to be. And they have leaned into this very hard. Now, the way it has uh, developed today is that they are able to say, oh, well, these are just cultural trends and we're just responding to the cultural trends. It's not our fault. You know, if girls are seeing things on TikTok and on movies, it's up to them if they want to come to us and, you know, we'll cut them up, we'll take the money, but it's not really our fault what the cultural trends are. The problem with this is that it's actually really deceptive because when you look at things like labiaplasty, so that's cosmetic genital surgery, um, that's one of the things that has been exponentially rising in teenage girls. These medical communities are actively disinforming girls about their anatomy, about their genitalia. So they're trying to say things like most girls and women have what they call uh, labia menorah hypertrophy. So they're claiming that 50 to 60% of women and girls have oversized labia and that they need to get them cut up anyway. So we're not just dealing with cultural influences. We're dealing with actual medical misinformation and disinformation that has long been misleading women and girls. And we see this as well in the massive number of women now getting explants because they found out that they have breast implant illness and that their implants were leaking into their bodies and destroying their health. Uh, so the, the industry that has been doing this to women and girls has not just been relying on these cultural trends, which are produced by a handful of very wealthy elite groups, uh, but also just by misinforming them about their bodies, which again comes back to what I was saying earlier about this long-standing war on the female form. It's frightening to think that you could have a quote-unquote medical industry, and that's just one of the many reasons that we should remain skeptical of the authoritative medical so sources that would tell you that 50 to 60% of women's genitalia is wrong. <laughs> like 50 insane. to 60%, that's insanity on its yeah. face. I mean, pure insanity, but it's part of uh, these Bernaysian tools of manipulation, just like safe and effective. They have their own statistics. I mean, by whose judgment could that, I mean, are, I don't want to get too grotesque, but like, are we taking out a scale and what's the measurement for this? Like, why would you ever say something like that to a young impressionable person other, other than to first instill fear and then give them the solution to that problem, problem, reaction, solution, right? In which you benefit from. It's, it's a very sociopathic and psychopathic mindset, in my opinion. What, in your opinion, is the, I guess, the, the time range that this has really taken off? Because we're seeing an explosion, not just in the types of surgeries that, that are focused on in this film, but of course the new gender affirming surgeries. And while the media and most of even the alternative right-wing media is focusing on men and women's sports, the truth is the vast majority of people that are undergoing top surgery and things of that nature are actually young girls. In fact, I've seen statistics upwards of 80% of these surgeries that are taking place on children in this new gender war are happening to women and girls. Yeah, absolutely. This yeah. is one of the things that I point out very distinctly in my film. 
that we have the rising trends of girls getting the cosmetic genital surgery and the breast implants that's going up in, you know, the, the uh, early to mid 2000s. Then you insert gender ideology and it, it coincides with the introduction of smartphones and social media to a particular age group of girls. We're dealing with pre, uh, um, pre high school. So like middle school age girls, this is the first time they were given social media and smartphones. So what happens is you have this rise in cosmetic surgery occurring in these young girls. Then they're given this new form of propaganda. It's extremely powerful. They're, they're being given this propaganda and this technology at an age that is younger than any human being has experienced it. Their mental health crashes. So we see a 186% rise in preteen girls being hospitalized because they have cut themselves so severely. And it is around this time that gender ideology is saturating our mainstream culture. It's saturating the classrooms uh, by being introduced into all the school curricula. Um, it's absolutely everywhere while this group of girls is in a mental health crisis. And so what I'm showing in the film is that we see this, this trend of girls losing their mental health and their, their connection with their bodies, their ability to become embodied and, and comfortable in the bodies that they're in. And this is all rising all together at the same time. And one of the reasons it's not political is because the same surgeons that are cutting up their breasts and labia just to make money on that side of things uh, is also cutting off their breasts and giving them testosterone injections based on just a new ideology. And so these, these, the, the moral corruption of these surgeons is not political. They're willing to do it, whatever the, the trend is. And uh, we're seeing this, this rise primarily in girls, which is important, um, especially when, when it comes to gender ideology, which is something I explore in the film. You know, this is exploding in adolescent girls, and that's a brand new phenomenon in the study of gender dysphoria itself. So for decades, all we had uh, was research on gender dysphoria showing up in young boys, in actually uh, preschool age boys. This is where it was most common. All of a sudden, in around you know 2013 to 2017, you have this window around the world where uh, girls start identifying as trans and seeking these medical treatments, and it skyrockets. In it quadrupled in the United States in about two years. There was a 4,000 percent rise in the United Kingdom. Um, so we're looking at a massive, massive increase in this. And even in the study of gender dysphoria, this was a completely new phenomenon. And we know that girls, uh, you know, they are susceptible to social contagions. And we have lots of examples of this throughout history, which is something that I, I really point out in the film. And that's the thing. We're not allowed to have, quote unquote, fads anymore, especially when it comes to this subject, which is insane to me because I'm probably a little bit older than you, you know, 43 years young, but not that much older. And... I remember a time of snap bracelets. That lasted a couple years. I remember a time of jam pants. Remember the hammer pants, the skids, oh, yeah. if, if you were rich? Like, like if you had a little extra money, you had the actual <laughs> skids brand. They were pretty, but we can't talk about that anymore, right, at yeah. all. We can't yeah. talk about the fact that we were pushed through advertising. Slinky, oh, what a wonderful toy. Like, like advertising works. Okay, subliminal messages work. Psychological warfare is real. And you just talked kind of in a broad spectrum of this new global ideology 
of gender-affirming care and gender research that says that there's new science. I have yet to see any new science whatsoever. However, what I do see is the United Nations, for instance, having full fight racism web pages for the LGBTQI plus with bearded women on it. And then they have white papers such as this that you can't make up. Let me just read this for you. This is where we're at today, but it's an ever expanding one. A transgender or trans person may identify as a man, a woman, a trans man, a trans woman, as a non-binary person or with other terms such as hedra, third gender, two-spirit, travesty, Fa, 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 fine, I'm not making that up. Gender queer, transpioni, mukes, waria, and meti. That's just where we're at today. This is an infinite increase in the idea that you need to, again, separate from your biology and identify as whatever you feel at the moment and whatever your imagination can arise to, but not really your imagination, and this is the key. It's the establishment, the predator class imagination that is being imposed and promoted on you. And I believe that that's why we're seeing an explosion right now in this gender ideology aspect. And the other aspect in that white paper is that we're going to protect children with this gender affirming care. So now the children internationally are under the guise of UN protection. And if say we sign a treaty, all of a sudden, our kids aren't really ours anymore, are they? Yeah, that's right. We're looking at using gender ideology as a form of, of Marxist warfare that really does complete the goal of Marxism in terms of breaking up the family unit. So it is being used to strip away parental rights. It is being used to turn children against parents. It's being used to empower the state to take custody of children. We have lots of examples of this that have already come to bear. You know, this is something that I confront in my film. There's a girl named Sage who was coerced by counselors in her school to socially transition. Uh, she was subsequently harassed and threatened by boys in her school when she was in the boys' bathroom because she was told she must be a boy based on how she was feeling. This is a young girl with a long history of mental health issues and abuse who was struggling deeply. Uh, so she ends up running away. Uh, she gets sex trafficked. She gets pulled into a child sex trafficking ring. She is uh, eventually rescued by the FBI, but when her parents are called to come get her, uh, they're told they can't see her because her case has been taken up by a radical gender ideologue lawyer uh, who is trying to use her case to set precedent to state that because her parents wouldn't affirm her new identity, they should lose custody of her. Uh, so she ends up being pulled into this absurd battle uh, when she is on the verge of finally getting home, she finds out that the lawyer has filed an emergency order to keep her out of her parents' custody. She realizes she's been caught in the middle of this whole thing. She runs away again. She is trafficked again for a second time. Now, this entire instance, in this entire instance, she was being kept in a boy's foster home. So imagine a teenage girl with mental health issues is living with a bunch of teenage boys in a foster home. Uh, then she runs away, is trafficked again. And it's important to note that um, there seems to be an element of this that is tied up in the human trafficking world in which trans children are going for more money on the human trafficking market. Uh, so there is a benefit to doing this. So she is finally rescued a second time. She is finally brought home to her family. She is now a detransitioner. 
because of course this was all nonsense. But it's, the case is a good example of all the radically, ideologically subverted adults that were surrounding her, who even though she was a rape victim, did nothing to get her therapy or healing for having been raped as a child throughout this whole experience. And instead they were obsessed with affirming her identity and trying to force her parents to affirm her identity. And the judge actually did attempt to compel speech and try to force the parents to use her pronouns. Uh, so, you know, I, I go through that case in the film as a good example of all of this, but that is being duplicated across North America right now. It, it's hard. It's hard to really, I guess, accentuate the gravity of these situations, because when you talk about that, it, it just seems so dark on so many levels, you know, from the abuse as a child level, which we don't discuss enough in society, especially when we're talking about a lot of the people that eventually do become abusers were once abused. That used to be commonplace and you, and talked about. We didn't embrace it, by the way. And again, to not acknowledge that that isn't part of this, it's very much a part of this. And then you talked about mental health issues. And society has changed so much over my generation where it is now commonplace not only to have the types of surgeries that you talk about in... Uh, cut Daughters of the West happening, but you're also handing out psychotropic drugs in mass to minors. And you also talked about the autistic aspect of this and how some of these people are either mentally unstable, obviously medicated, obviously medicated on the autistic spectrum, and that's even without the sexual abuse. Um, how does that now come into play when you have a lot of these people that obviously there's something wrong, right? They're, they're going and saying they feel this way for a reason. But they're on psychotropic, brain-changing medications, Simon. Well, you know, you have pressure in the medical community, especially coming from groups like WPATH. So WPATH is supposed to be this global authority on the whole trans issue. They have, since 2010 been pushing for the depathologization of gender incongruent people, which means they're asking for there to be less mental health assessment, less looking at this as a mental health issue. They are part of the push to say that gender dysphoria is not a mental illness, even though there's decades of science showing that it really, really is. Um, and so the push to stop pathologizing gender incongruence is a big part of this because you have the medical community actually being afraid to include a mental diagnosis in this because it's actually being called transphobic. There is even a surgeon here in Toronto who has now started removing the breasts of healthy girls based on the idea that they are just feeling non-binary. There is no therapist note required. There is no mental health check required at all. As long as she can give just a basic uh, checkup from her general practitioner in terms of her health, uh, and she identifies as non-binary, he will remove her healthy breasts. He has stated himself, uh, you know, I don't try to understand it anymore. This is, just the, this is just the kids today. And so, you know, I'm willing to help them how they want. This is the result of groups like WPATH saying, stop psychopathologizing any of this and just allow this to be a new kind of person. The biggest danger to this is that they are trying to establish trans people as a special class of people so that they can get civil rights status. 
And that is when the major restructuring of our society occurs. Uh, that is the biggest danger of all of this. If they can completely remove all the mental health gatekeeping and make it seem like some people are just born trans and they can't help it, they suddenly get the civil rights status. And then we look at a whole bunch of changes that are very hard to take back. And I don't think that they ever will be taken back. And I, I think a lot of this has to do not just with the sexualization of children, as you talked about, not even just to do with the fact that they want an autonomy of a very, very impressionable young individual to escape the nuclear family, to take away parental rights and, and erode the idea of the nuclear family altogether. But this is also... Uh, a road to transhumanism on so many levels. Uh, for instance, you know, I have a book here called Unzip Genes. It's from 1997. It's written by the most powerful and rich um, transgender person on the planet, Martine Rothblatt. And in this very opening, when they start talking about what they're going to do, because this is taking charge of baby making in the new millennium, is... It's not eugenics anymore. Yeah, eugenics was kind of bad because we did it by race, but there are a lot of aspects in it. We all practice, right? We all want to change things just like Martine did. And they actually refer to it as transgenics throughout the book. <laughs> and wow. Rothblatt is also the author years later in, uh, I believe it's 2012, from transgender to transhuman. Um, Virtually Human is another one of their books, and this is somebody that gets the awards from the NGOs that Martine um, hasn't set up, because a lot of those NGOs are hers, but gets the Billie Jean King Award, also heavy into technology, NASA, satellites, you name it. There seems to be this overlap in this trans movement with people like this who are also in kind of the transhumanist front-runner biomimetics movement. So they're into technology and they're into biology. And you just discussed how they want to make a third class of people. Well, if you start taking over baby making, you could have somebody who's geni uh, genetically engineered to be quote unquote non-binary from the very beginning. So not necessarily have the genitalia of either a man or a woman. You know, what are your thoughts on that? that bridge because we've ignored for for instance one of the one of the amazing things that Martine Rothblatt is able to do especially in uh, the follow-up book in this is in the beginning uh, Rothblatt says that we're going to look at you marking down male or female on a baby when it's born like we looked at South African apartheid when you marked somebody white or black that's insanity of course but real and then also makes the argument that the chromosome argument isn't real because we obviously have people with a third chromosome. It doesn't matter that they are literally mentally and physically retarded. And unfortunately, uh, an, an anomaly I, I believe we shouldn't encourage. We should try to stop that. Thoughts, Simon? I know that's a lot. Well <laughs> there's there's a lot to say there though, and I've you know I've created a lot of content exploring a ton of this and trying to respond to a lot of it. There are some documents called the Toronto Protocols that I have been researching for years, and they outline a very very detailed warfare strategy on the Western world in terms of implementing a new world order. 
And one of the things they state in these meetings that were allegedly had in Toronto in 1967 and then again in Toronto in 1985 is that they are going to use two primary things for a lot of the social engineering that's going to be ongoing against the youth and against our legal system, which is norms and exceptions. And so what they are looking to do is try to make the exception the norm so that uh, they can modify the legal system to uplift the exceptions and force that upon everyone. This is what we're seeing with transgenderism, of course, because the, the, the exception here is the very, very tiny number of people who were transgender a while ago, you know, is like less than, you know, 0.01% of the population, very, very small. So they're not try trying to uplift this exception and make it the norm and try to modify the, the entire human rights code across the world and all these countries, according to the exception. So this is one of the fundamental warfare strategies they outline in the Toronto Protocol. When we look at doing that and bringing us in the direction of transhumanism, you know, it requires a lot of the same things and it requires the war on the family, especially in terms of ignoring what really happens biologically when a traditional family unit is, is formed. And this is something that I looked at extensively in my series, Superorganism, that was looking at the family unit as a superorganism because I wanted to respond to the war on the family using insights into biology and psychology and spirituality. And some of the things I found, they directly undermine this transhumanist push. So when we look at, you know, there was recently a, a video that came out that was promoting this uh, baby factory. I think it was in Germany where they're looking to, to grow all the babies. In, Ecto-life. In we covered That's it. Right. That's <laughs> right. So the ecto-life push, this is a good example. They're saying they can imitate the creation of the baby and they can imitate the experience of the baby inside the mother's womb. And I'll, I'll give some examples as to why they are not even close to imitating the actual majesty of a man and a woman making a child. So when a man impregnates a woman, if that man is devoted to that woman during pregnancy, meaning if he is present during the actual time of gestation and he's around her physical vehicle, she's emitting what is essentially a biofield that is starting to reprogram the man's body and it creates changes in his actual physical vehicle. It creates changes in his emotional landscape. There are things that are measurably changed. For example, one of the things they found is that men who are pregnant or who are with the pregnant woman and near her and devoted to that pregnancy, they would have a rise in what's called prolactin. And they found that the men who had this increase in prolactin that was caused by the pregnant woman's body, uh, that man's body would be more responsive to his baby's cries after his child was born. They also found that the first moment that a man holds his newborn child, his testosterone levels drop by about 33%, changing his emotional landscape and opening him up to a deeper emotional connection with his child. At the same time, the woman, her body is undergoing, of course, immense changes, which we know lots about. But one of the incredible things they found is that the child's body itself becomes devoted to protecting the mother's body to the extent that they were finding that women were healing from heart attacks at a rate that was seemingly impossible. Some of these pregnant women, they were healing from heart attacks in under two weeks and they couldn't figure out why. And when they looked into what was happening and causing their hearts to completely recover from these heart attacks, they found the genetic material of their child that is the DNA of their child, not the woman. And they found that the baby's genetic materials were leaving the, 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 the womb 
actually crossing the placental walls and taking up positions within the woman's organs and her tissue all across her body, and that the baby's uh, DNA was actually repairing the mom's heart. We know now from things like this that the complex relationship that is occurring here with man, woman, and child is not something that transhumanism is duplicating. We know that the heart field generated by the mom when the child is in the womb and how coherent the mother's heart states are this is teaching the child forms of self-regulation, types of consciousness. It's giving the child information that is beyond language. And that even occurs after the child is born. The first nine months, the, just being in the mom's heart field is, is programming the child in all these non-linguistic ways. None of this is Im imitated by these wacky experiments like ExoLife because they can't even come close to all these incredible things occurring with the man, woman, child combination. And that's why I looked into this into superorganism, because I knew that if I looked at the family as this superorganism designed to generate human knowledge and wisdom and beauty, uh, that it would undermine this whole war on the family, which relies on it just as a social construct. Well, that's that's the deal, man. Let, let's talk about that, because they want everything to be, um, like you said, a social construct. There's nothing that's inherent. Right. There's no inherent good or evil. Everything's based on societal mores, etc. But what they're real, in my opinion, what when they're talking about transhumanism, they want the ecto life factory because they do want to even, you know, then we're not going to take away the humans. We're actually going to make them better for a price. But they want to detach you as much from that experience and put it under government regulation if they allow you to have it. Meanwhile, you just talked about something. How a child and a mother's symbiosis is, is genetically there. Well, transhumanism to these people are, one, eventually they want to trick all of us after we've accepted chips and biomimetics and even uh, you know mrna type organization organisms which is a gateway into that that we can upload our consciousness to their super metaverse or whatever totally false but then they'd like to biologically live forever by cracking the human code and people like Peter Nygaard, for instance, are some of the most grotesque examples of that, where Nygaard is in prison right now awaiting trial, where he was literally impregnating girls as young as 14 so that they would have abortions, and he would take the stem cells from those aborted fetuses and inject them into his own body because they shared his same genetics. We also know that Jeffrey Epstein had a baby-making ranch in... Uh, in uh, Zorro, New Mexico, that was never really looked at, never investigated. Uh, Bannon has 16 hours of tape of the guy. I've seen two seconds of it in his trailer where he asked him about the island of Dr. Moreau, and he's like, that's correct. Anybody who knows what that is, that's chimeric organisms being created outside of the rule of law. What are your thoughts on what the predator class, the elites think transhumanism is? And, and do you think that it's even possible that they could biologically live forever? Or, or is that the big goof and trick on them? I don't think that any of us are, are destined to live forever. I, I am firmly of the belief that it is, you know, death as, as uh, a form of, of accompaniment throughout life is, is part of what balances existence. This shamanic notion that death is your guide, that death is, is uh, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, guiding you throughout life. To me, it is part of the balance of things. And I, I believe these people are deeply afraid of death. And the tragedy is that they are permeating the exploration of existence and of the material realm with their sickness, with their fear of death, with their philosophy. And it doesn't need to be that way. I don't think it's inherently wrong to be exploring these things and trying to understand the human form more deeply. So perhaps we could live longer, healthier lives. That's not inherently wrong. The issue is that they have a warped spirituality or a warped version of existence that they're living from that is polluting these ideas. You know, there was a there's an interview or an alleged interview, I should say, that I saw long ago that was supposedly with an extraterrestrial. And they were asking this extraterrestrial uh, about the, the different ways that their, their civilization had developed uh, technology and spirituality. And the extraterrestrial's supposed response in this interview was, we don't view those as separate things. They are the same thing. So for their civilization, allegedly, their, their path to spiritual evolution was also the way that they had produced their technologies. Here, uh, you know, in our civilization, these are seemingly separate things. As far as we are shown in the world, you have this materialist path and then you have, you know, the sort of path to spiritual evolution. And so uh, we end up with this struggle of, on the one hand, with this highly um, intellectual sort of detached push to develop technology. All we do is ask, is it possible? And we only explore, is it possible? And we never balance that with, is it appropriate? And these can even be seen as sort of a, a archetypal mas masculine and feminine you know, way of looking at things. This is something that Joseph Chilton Pierce talks a lot about, that you have a feminine kind of intelligence and then a masculine kind of intellect driving our society. And one of the biggest issues we've had is this constant asking, is it possible? And never asking, is it appropriate? Uh, this is the danger with this small group of wealthy people who they're able to do this because they keep a line of knowledge and a line of intention, you know, they keep warfare operations alive generation after generation while they wage the war on the family specifically so that we cannot do that. This is another thing that's stated in the Toronto Protocols, that they want to attack the family unit so that wisdom and knowledge cannot move from generation to generation. While they also state that's precisely what we're keeping for our families, that's exactly how we've been able to unfold this plan over hundreds of years. So. That's one of the reasons I want to fight back to create cultural ideals of the family and the family as this superorganism to, to pass on knowledge as far into the future as we can into the generations. And one of the things we should be doing in passing on knowledge is not only asking, is it possible, but what is appropriate and how do we balance that moving forward as a culture, especially one that we don't want to be controlled by this centralized motion or the centralized organization of cultural production. Kind of going back a little bit to what you said um, in general about technology, right? And how it's separated from our, our spiritual nature as well. First of all, I'm totally skeptic. I probably watched that same interview that you're talking about of anything alien. I think if not all of it is disinformation and misinformation. I mean, it, it's out there. But what is undeniable to me, for instance is there seems to be a spiritual, religious, occultic, and symbolism to 
many of the societies and institutions politically that have come into power over generations and even in modern generations. Uh, the Nazis, for instance, obviously the Vril Society and the Black Sun and the look for what they really believed was a hollow earth and the entities within, not so much looking for space aliens, but some people, again, the speculation there is maybe they got them. Then you move into the Western aspect of this and the entire nuclear program that actually becomes successful is uh, kind of spawned out of the Bohemian Grove where you have this occultic ritual that spans even before the great owl is there and there's a Buddha and even before the Buddha is there in the forest. I actually have their annals. There's old school pictures, 100 years old and writings about it. And the cremation of care is one uh, where they dress in druidic garb and they do a ritual burning their consciousness, essentially, for that group goal that you've alluded to in these Toronto protocols. And, and so to me, when I actually look at this, the power structure that has really uh, compartmentalized things in, in a manner that I don't think is imaginable post-World War II, things have leaked out like the gateway process. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that document. There's a document that talks kind of about the mental and spiritual aspects of reality in relation to technology as well. I think a lot of that's been hidden from us. And I think the people at the very top understand that and they integrate that in their fifth generational warfare. And then if you start talking about it, you're a kook, you're a new ager. But I happen to believe in the law of attraction. I think it's very, very real. Now, that doesn't mean that if I think something hard enough, it's going to happen. You have to put yourself into motion and action on top of those thoughts, and, and it's in repetition, and eventually the universe does answer, and that is something spiritual to me. I'd say even Annie Jacobson's books, um, you know, they, they focus heavily on technology, but she's got the book Phenomenon, where she specifically looks at our military-industrial complex and them looking at um, psych the psychic nature of some of this stuff. I think there's a problem. you got a lot of grifters in there, right? Like Yuri Geller, ultimate grifter. And, and he's a guy that was in the Central Intelligence Agency, working for the Mossad at the same time, and now literally has his own island in Israel <laughs> that he's giving citizenship to. So I, I think there's a lot of muddying of the waters. I think that when a smart guy like you puts something like this out and then starts talking about the spiritual aspect, they'll go after that first, right? That's the way to discredit you. And that's unfortunate because this is something that they've also explored and it is something we need to have a conversation about because just like you said, the family, the nuclear family, it's a super organism, man. It's unlike anything else. And a lot of that is our inherent biology. In fact, I think that we pass things down other than looks through generations. And obviously we do. We have our lizard brain, our fight or flight. That's bare minimum. But it's undeniable that traits from a father or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle aren't imposed, imprinted on the youth. They absolutely are. And we've seen that through throughout history. And we fail, we fail to recognize that on many levels. And I think that that could be the, the bridge for people to understand the spiritual as aspect of everything we're going through right now, Simon. Yeah, absolutely. We have an opportunity here to use our understanding of family and of the way that knowledge moves through the generations to, to build a, a wealth of spiritual knowledge. And I think what it's going to come down to is 
honoring the individual, the unique individual on deeper and deeper levels. Uh, ironically, I think that's what's going to unite us as a collective against all of these people. And I think that seems to be a big part of what's going on. You know, for me, one of the core things that I'm looking to pass on to my children is the capacity to think freely and to develop your internal authority, your ability to guide yourself through your life in the way that is unique to you. And I think this is where a lot of our spiritual systems were corrupted or used improperly. They were used to homogenize. You know, there's examples of this in the family where sometimes the family unit was used to impose dogma onto children to replace free thinking. And, you know, free thought is antithetical to using dogma and authority and tradition, right? We should be using free thought as a foundation. And then sometimes when dogma, authority or tradition are helpful to guide us, they can be secondary. Um, so I think in terms of developing ourselves spiritually as a species, it's going to be about honoring the development of the individual to a level that we have yet to see. And this is naturally where it's going with the collapse of all the systems that we're seeing around us, right? We're seeing the collapse of the education system, of the healthcare system, uh, even the financial system. All of these things are collapsing. Um, and I think in a sense, because they were based on homogenization, they were based on trying to create groupthink you know, tribalism, collectivism in ways that no longer serve us. And so now we're moving into this era where I think everything is going to be more decentralized. But spiritually speaking, that has the opportunity, I think, to develop the potential within the, the individual to a much greater capacity. I know this to be true in the educational path we've taken with our children. We're an unschooling family. So we're not even looking to imitate the schooling model. We are looking to study our children so deeply that it's clear to us what their needs and interests are. And then we surround them with what their needs and interests are. And we allow who they are to dictate their life path and, and, and how they are educated. And, and that's very, very different from the public schooling model, which was founded you know, out of the Prussian model that was designed to create just obedient soldiers and non-thinking bureaucrats. That was the whole purpose of that system. So I think our spirituality needs to be reconciled with this this uh, focus on honoring the individual. And to me, that will correct a lot of the operations and uh, infiltrations that occurred within religions. You know, we had, you know, infiltration into Christianity and we have strange forms of corruption, even in Buddhism, that I think really misled people. I think a lot of the New Age community is, is you know, full of different kinds of psychological operations to muddy the waters. And so when it becomes about honoring the individual very, very deeply, I think that becomes a means of protecting ourselves against those kinds of operations because they specifically rely on groupthink and kinds of tribalism that I don't think are going to serve us as things, you know, we go through this great awakening in this big societal shift. You know, I'm so glad you said all those things about really collectivism, right? Because I hear people batting down the hatches on socialism and communism. But at the end of the day, um, even in Samuel Zane Batten's book, new world order it's about collectivism you know that's why g edward griffin is so brilliant in identifying that and that's why the rugged individual and it's really that individual spirit is so important and the individual's rights and that's why the constitution in itself is an incredible document because it's perfectly imperfect it didn't get it all right but it gave you a way to change it and it was battened for the little guy because the little guy matters and individuals matter and that doesn't mean that you can't work together that doesn't mean you can't love your neighbor. It encourages those situations for you to collectively work together when it's beneficial to all. Okay. And that's what they never, ever point out. 
you released this film uh, several weeks ago, maybe even a month ago now. How can people see it? Where are you on the road? How can they support you right now? Cut uh, Daughters of the West and daughtersofthewestfilm.com is where you can find everything out about it. Yeah, so if you go to daughtersofthewestfilm.com, that will give you access to renting and purchasing the film. Um, there's also uh, an opportunity to screen the film in your community. So I've created a section on the website so that you can apply to create a screening in your community. Um, I really encourage that element of it because uh, in fifth generation warfare, uh, a lot of the operations being waged against us are in the digital domain. So there's a lot of cyber warfare and there's a lot of psychological operations and SIACs and you know uh, all of this is dependent upon corrupt social media platforms uh, corrupt news outlets, you know, the manipulation of the digital domain in general. So when we create events that are in person, in aura, in community, that actually allows us to dominate the physical domain and avoid a lot of the forms of manipulation that are naturally going to occur when we are in uh, the digital theater of war that is, you know, necessarily going to be saturated by our enemy's operations. Uh, so that is one thing that you can do. Uh, I would say that, um, uh, it's important to note that if you purchase or rent Daughters of the West, uh, you'll actually get a bonus feature, which is Vague Rules, which is a film that I wrote and Adam Riva actually edited. And Vague Rules shows people uh, the, the connection to old forms of communist warfare, starting right in the history of China, uh, that are being used here in the West by big tech, that are being used to implement critical race theory, gender ideology that were used during the COVID lockdowns, and it sort of connects this form of communist warfare through all of those things. So that is a bonus feature that you'll get along with screening cut. And if you want to look at the rest of my work, you can go to simonessler.com. That'll show you my whole portfolio. Uh, you'll get to, to look into my series Superorganism. And then I have a number of, uh, number of comedy specials and shows and different things on Rise TV as well. So how's a guy like you get started? Let's close it out with that. Like, what was that moment that you were just kind of fed up or that piece of information that was too much that you decided, Hey, ignorance is not bliss. You know, now that I understand this, I can't just be a spectator. I can't just be on the sidelines. I got to go out and do something. You choose to make content films. I love that you're talking about getting on the ground and talking to people and getting out of the house and holding screenings, getting away from this screen Screen's great. The typing's great. The sharing's great. I promise you, a handshake is better. You know, an interaction with that person is better. And anywhere you can do it, outside, on a projector, on a big screen, inside a church, at your local community center. If you've got a big house, you know, you can have a screening with 15 people. So, once again, how'd you get started, brother? Well, you know, I experienced a lot of censorship uh, early on, probably around 2017, 2018. Uh, at the time, I was building a, you know, a free-thinking think tank on Facebook that got up to about 14,000 members. And uh, we were pretty serious in what we were doing. We were very evidence-based, and we were responding to the official narratives, I think, in a way that was a big threat. Uh, that group got purged. I got kicked off of Facebook. Um, my partner Amanda got kicked off just for being connected to me. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I was getting shadow banned everywhere else. Uh, at the time, I had actually been working more in the ufology space. Uh, I had uh, been hired to do a couple different conferences. And uh, I was approached by uh, a platform, which at the time was Edge of Wonder. They're now Rise TV. Uh, they approached me to develop a series. And uh, that was my invitation into making some professional level content. And I figured at the time, you know, instead of, 
grinding against the shadow banning and going against this algorithm that was targeting me. Why not refine my skills as a content creator in these private communities that are freedom oriented, you know, where there wasn't going to be any censorship. And so I took that as an opportunity to, uh, to work on my craft and to develop my ability to develop docu-series and even, as I said, I've got some comedy content as well. So I spent half a decade just really, really learning how to make high quality content. I built a 4K studio uh, here in my home in Toronto. Uh, and that was really exciting for me because it helped me get everything up to the level that I wanted it to be. It helped me figure out how to control everything myself, how to take a project from beginning to end on my own. And so uh, Cut, Daughters of the West, is my first independently released project. Everything else has been behind the paywalls of these platforms that I've been working with for the past five or six years. Um, this is the first time where I've decided to take something from beginning to end on my own and release it on my own as well. And uh, it's been a really satisfying experience because, you know, I personally, I, I like to be a one-man show. I like to write and direct and perform everything myself. And uh, it's been damn satisfying, I got to say, and it's, it's addictive. I'm definitely going to be doing another film soon. And uh, I look forward to, to expanding my reach beyond the platforms that I've been, you know, the beneficiary of working with for so long now. I'm so with you, man. Uh, you know, as an independent filmmaker myself, listen, it's great to have a little bit of help. It's great to have this and that. But when it's down to it, the more you're doing yourself, the more you're on the ground, the more you're doing the edits, the more you're watching that same five minutes for the hundredth time, uh, the better it ends up coming out. I applaud you, man. I, I love what you're doing. You're welcome on the show anytime for any of the projects. We need more people like you. And uh, as always, folks, you know the drill. You can support the broadcast with the links down below. Please go check out his film. Uh, this isn't about right or left. It is about right and wrong every single time. I love you guys, and I will see you all on the flip side.